We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Time has finally come. Here at the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast, we have to print a retraction. Elliot Smith, sometimes known as Yankee Gunner on Twitter, in the last podcast said, I think from now on, we just won't talk about Mesut Ozil anymore. Well, shit. This is the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. And that's right, we got to talk Mesut Ozil again. And I promise you, it's not like what we want to do because it seems very tedious, but there's actually Ozil stuff to talk about. A little bit of housekeeping. We were supposed to have a really, really, really um, blockbuster guest on this week. We worked really hard on the scheduling, and it just didn't quite work out. As it turns out, um, I am not super available at 3 a.m., to record a podcast, and the guest was not super available at the times that were suitable. So it's a shame, but we will uh, push that one down the line. Having said that, uh, hint, hint, wink, wink, there was an interesting article that broke this week. I I mean, some people think it was blockbuster. Some people think it was just kind of a a shoulder shrug emoji, but David Ornstein put out an interview that he did, an exclusive that The Athletic got with Mesut Ozil. I think there's some stuff in there worth talking about, so we definitely will. And it's a reminder that uh, if you do want to sign up for The Athletic, uh, we can get it to you for half off and a month free, so we'd love to do that. It's two fifty a month at that point, so uh, we've been talking about it for a, a long time, but I think uh, also Ornstein and Amy Lawrence and, and James teamed up, for uh, obviously Gunnerblog teamed up for an awesome article about F- Freddie Unberg this week, so they really are doing good stuff. I mean, it's one thing to say, hey, sign up for something, but it's another thing to sign up for really good quality, and I, I think it's pretty safe to say that's there. Um, so you can do it at theathletic.com forward slash Vision. And uh, we will get more blockbuster guests like the one we were supposed to have, but didn't, but will have. So we're excited for that. Um, hey, news for us. We are about to cross the 1500 patron threshold. And I'm really excited about that. I mean, I say that if everybody just like signs off tomorrow, then we are not <laughs> about to cross that threshold. But if we do, uh, for the 1500th patron, we are going to give away a shirt. And then we're going to do a giveaway for all patrons um, this next month. So we're, we're just excited for that and really want to say thank you to everyone who, who did that. We had three Patreon pods this week. So we did... Um, a, a stats class where Giant Gooner to, uh, talked about what he heard at the Stats Bomb conferences, which was interesting. We did an FPL pod because we have an FPL league over at Patreon. And we did another one. And gosh, it's been so many pods this week that I am struggling to Mail, recall. Mailbag. Mailbag, yes. Oh. And, and actually, really good mailbag because it had an Emory debate in it that was kind of fun. So lots of stuff there. Okay, that's way too much housekeeping. We're already two minutes in. Haven't introduced the guy whose voice you've already heard and the other two people you haven't heard uh, to get to the stuff. That really matters. So we want to do that. But I got to tell you one more thing. I'm really sorry. Monday, we are trialing new technology. There's a startup out in San Francisco. 
that is working on technology that lets you live comment on games, do comment game commentary where it syncs up to whatever source you're watching so there's no lag and can even produce some of the background stadium noise so you can mute your TV and listen. If you want to mute the annoying people who are going to be commenting on the Sheffield United game, you can instead hear the annoying people here because I'm going to be commenting on the Sheffield United game. We're helping these guys out. They're a startup. We're going to try all their technology. We're putting out a lot of information on how to follow that. But if you want live commentary that is biased, to the Arsenal instead of against the Arsenal, but also maybe a little bit bitter and and angry most of the time, please join me for that, and I'll be putting out a lot of information on how you can do that. So, pause on Twitter, pause in my pants, hello, pause. (laughs) He fell asleep during that long, rambling introduction. Uh, We were going to do a 45-minute podcast, so we'll wrap it up. We'll talk to you after. (laughs) Tim's on Twitter, at Stewardle. Hello, Tim. I love it. And Clive's on Twitter, at ClivePAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Of course, I picked the episode where everybody's here other than Scott, who we love and will be back soon, to do a long, rambling introduction. But we had a lot to get to, and now we're going to get to the article itself. Uh, Clive, actually, I understand you had the article read to you while you were cleaning your boots this morning. Is that correct? I did. Getting my football boots ready for the weekend's game, and I listened to the Mesa Erzl article, which was, hey, it's good to see that drop from Ormsi. You know when you see him do an article like this, you know it's going to be real, and uh, and it was, right? It, yeah. I don't think it was uh, super earth-shattering, but it's really good well, to take away some of the conjecture that's out there by hearing it from the man himself. I want to ask you one angle quickly before we dive into the things he said. So Ozil comes out with this interview, and I'm sure the club was sort of briefed that it was dropping or maybe you know got an early look at it or saw it right when it came out. The Ozil article comes out where he basically says, I've been training hard. I want to play. I'm never leaving. I'm not going anywhere. And it wasn't like he was saying it angrily, just sort of like, I'm working hard. I respect my coach, and I'm trying. And then in the presser the next day, Emery sort of echoes those sentiments. And it's the first time we've seen him move away from the, I pick the players who train hard, and to specifically and directly assess Ozil as working hard and being impressive and being back in his plan. So my question to you is, do you feel that maybe something happened behind the scenes between the two to precipitate the detente? Or do you think that Emery's comments are a direct response to the interview? How do you, how do you think the timing of this happened? And is there maybe something that happened behind the scenes? I think there is something that's happened. I think it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a longer answer. I think pre-season we saw a different Ozil up until the the issues he had off the field, and I think we we lost him again. Um, but pre-season he was looking like a a very good player for a short period of time, and we lost him. And the chat was that he wasn't working hard in training. And I think the reaction to his incident pre-season or start of the season and him missing training, illnesses I mean, we've seen this before, that's when the, the debate comes up for me, I'm I look when it comes to the player, we all know the player's talented, the best measures or plays for us, or there is no debate so I have a very simplistic message to any footballer, train well, play well and good things will happen if you create a debate, then maybe things won't happen for you, so you have to play well to take that debate away and then you get the things about training, and people say, I saw some people giving it the, uh, the Alan Iverson, it's just practice, it's just practice. <laughs> but, we talking about practice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that classic practice. video, right? <laughs> but basically, what you have to realize at, at clubs now is that data is king. It's everything. And I include training data in that. So when agents walk into the, to the office and say, my player X needs a pay rise, the club goes straight to a piece of paper and say, this is what Player X has done in training. This is what Player X has done in games. And this is what Player Y has done in games. He earns more money than Player X. And there is no debate. Data is used to such a finite amount of detail to drive decisioning, drive economics, drive when a player is bought, drive when a player is sold, even down to training. They have... They have cameras all around the ground. They have drones flying over the ground. When the coach <laughs> says the player's not working hard in training, trust me, he knows and every other player knows because everyone has the performance metrics that are public. And that's how you drive high performance. So when I see people say things that it's only practice, they don't understand. They truly do not understand a high-performance environment and what drives other players on to drive each other to the highest possible levels they they can possibly have. When Arsenal offer Aubameyang a 300 grand a week contract, whatever it will be, as a 30-year-old, I guarantee you they're looking at his data before they made that commitment. I absolutely guarantee it. I just get a bit frustrated by how people are using this to... 
uh, fuel their own agendas. Mm, that I, makes sense. Maybe. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I think, look, I have a slightly different take. I wouldn't say it's different. I mean, I, it would come as a surprise to no one. Pray um, tell, pray tell. So that's just my chance to spew uh, rambling nonsense into the microphone. <clears throat> Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Podcast. Uh, look, I do think that practice is important. I do think that talent is important. And so I, I think there is a point, a breaking point, right? Like if you have two players who are fairly similar in what they can do on the pitch, the one that trains harder and is more engaged in training and more part of what the team is working on and, and coordinating, I think has to get the edge, certainly. I think you have a massive da- delta in talent. You have to start to create slightly different rules and carve out slightly different rules for your massively talented players. Now, I, it is totally open for debate, by the way, whether Mesodozo still fits into the category of being talented enough to warrant being allowed special treatment with respect to training. And also, look, a, a lack of desire to train hard can be... A style, but it could also just be an opposition to authority. It can be a refusal to fall in line with what the coach is trying to do, and that's not acceptable either. So I am by no means excusing poor training habits. I just think that you do need a sliding scale of rules with respect to how you treat your players based on their talent and the, the size of their ego and the size of their stardom in the game and so on and so forth. Like you, you know, I I keep going back to PSG, which is an unworkable situation. I acknowledge, but like you can't treat Neymar the way you treat you know, the average squad player at PSG anymore that you can probably treat Mesodozo the same way you're going to treat Matteo Ganduzzi, for example. Um, so what, so what I will say is that none of us know the differential in the data. We don't know by how much. And what you said there makes perfect sense. When you have a super talented player, you do have to make allowances for that player. However... When that super talented player hasn't shown that super talent over a number of months on a consistent basis, and that super talented player has potentially some of the worst numbers in game and in training that have been seen recently, then there's a debate to be had. Sure, of course. Right? I totally agree, and by there's the way, a dress, yes. There's a dressing room to keep hold of. And I suppose now we're getting into subjectivity, hence why you haven't seen much of me online in the last week, because <laughs> there, is, there is no point. Right? Oh, I there thought it was because you had a life. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> but, um, but you're right, Clive. That's, that's like um, you've got to think about it on the flip side. What is the potential impact on the group and the team? If uh, And as Clive says, we don't know the metrics. If he's like not putting it in in training at all and then getting in the team, how does that then affect the group dynamic? Um, I, I think there are a couple of things here. First of all, um, that they, they do post the data. They post it in the gym at Arsenal, so everyone can see everyone's data. Thank and uh, you. you might you saw remember... that during your uh, your tour of the High Performance yes. Center, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, they post it all there. Just you wanted to remember... give you the humble brag since you weren't going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> you might remember Romelu Lukaku um, this summer um, actually causing a little bit of because he was posting his teammates' metrics as well because you know people were saying he was too fat and couldn't run so he started posting his um his his numbers um and he also posted some of his teammates numbers which um yeah which which weren't that impressive um, upset luke shaw didn't it yes and, and fun matter um but on uh, and, and again actually on the flip side of that i don't know if you saw over the international break uh, neymar gave an interview um touching on exactly what you said elliot where um you know he is given special treatment for brazil as well as every every other club he's at and that that causes a lot of consternation in the brazilian press and actually he came out and and for once was quite candid and not managing his image within an inch of his life and he said well yeah because i've been carrying this team on my back for the last 10 years and he said and that's fine and he said you look around at those players all around the world you think they don't get special treatment you think messi doesn't get special treatment um and he said that's normal he, he just said, um, and, and again, it possibly feeds into, you know, people are going to like him less because he says that. But um, you can see where he's coming from. And I found it refreshingly honest for once um, for him to just say that's normal. Um, the good players are treated differently. But um, yeah, I, I think I would say at this stage, Ozil is not showing that level and hasn't shown it for quite some time. Yeah. And I want to say something like I thought that the interview was interesting. I think that there are nuggets you can glean from it. I mean, it wasn't a cross-examination, right? Like, and I'm, I don't mean that by any way uh, as a criticism of, of David Ornstein interviewing him. I'm just saying that he wasn't grilling him. It was a chance for Ozil to sort of put out his position more or less. And so, Paul, I guess my question to you is, do you see this as Ozil coming back 
to the table, as Ozil trying to make amends, as Ozil trying to build a bridge, or do you see it as him trying to control the narrative? Because last season he did it basically sniper style from social media, you know, with a a Bergkamp quote or whatever the hell it was on Instagram. This season it's a more wide-ranging interview covering a variety of topics, really defending his training and his energy and, and the work he's put in knowing specifically that the criticism that's out there floating around is about his work rate and his training and his preparation. And and I'm really curious just to get your take on what you think the intent was behind Ozil doing this. And again, do you feel that Emery's comments in the pre-match presser are a a capitulation, an agreement, signs of something that happened between the two of them that, that means that they've mended fences? How do you How do you see the machinations behind all of this working out? Okay, well, uh, I guess I feel pretty Occam's razor on it. Um, I don't think it's that dramatic. I think we should stop and at least explain that Occam's razor means, in absence of any other information, the simplest answer is most usually the correct one. Yeah, Uh, and maybe the least Machiavellian answer is the... For God's sakes, uh, man, you're not teaching like... like Philosophy 407 here. <laughs> Can you just go just, with single syllabic? Just sil- as well. <laughs> okay, come on. <laughs> syllabic. The thing about syllabic is it's got I, three I, syllables I, I'm, in I'm it. I'm not doing this with you now. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't think it's that dramatic. I expected at some stage Ozil to say something. I think all sides will be reasonably happy with this. Mm-hmm. Um, he is in in the team. Uh, if they push him out in January, this doesn't uh, act against that or for that. Um, but then for how do you interpret the fact that he basically said, I ain't going nowhere? I mean, he's he was like, I'm staying till this contract and maybe beyond that. You know, like he, he kind of made it pretty clear, I'm not going anywhere. And, you know, obviously he doesn't necessarily control that, but he does somewhat control that. Well, man, you're very trusting, I must say. Look, <laughs> what was he going to say? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm staying, you know, you can go different ways, but... No, but I mean, you could say, I'm working really hard and want to be in the team, but if the club feels I'm not useful to them anymore, I still want to play. I think there's a lot of football left in me. Like, you can can make a come and get me plea. He didn't go that direction, you know? Yeah, yeah, you could go that way. On the other hand, you could go with the, I'm here till I'm not. Uh, I'm happy, I'm working away, it's all good. Um, I'm not saying he wants to go in January... But this doesn't preclude any of those options. I think it was – that's why I think it was good. It was a no drama. Uh, I'm serious. I'm training. Stuff's been said about me. That's not fair. Um, you know, all of these versions of it, Raul's, Emery's, Ozil's, I mean, there's there's some contradiction in there, but, but not enough that there's a drama, right? Um so everybody gets to present themselves. Everybody gets to paint their corner. Emery's saying, look, I'm going to treat all players equal. And those who work hard and produce the goods will play. That has to be his message. We, before Emery showed up, we would, we would have said, we want a manager who don't take no shit from star players who aren't pulling their weight. And he's lived up to that. And people will quibble about whether he's done it well enough or not, whether he's handled star players or not, what we've learned from PSG. Here's what I'd say we learned from PSG. Um, he, he will accommodate players up to a point if they've earned it, but Ozil isn't Neymar. On the other hand, he will he is a company guy, and he will do the bidding of the club he works for. And that's why I always thought, and it turned out about a week ago to pretty much be, maybe you can't say proven because there's always a bit of PR with all of this. But when Raul spoke, it seemed he was pretty much in lockstep where Emery was at. And I I just don't think, uh, like as supporters uh, on a podcast, on Twitter, whatever, we, we love to get into the drama. And I, uh, I'm as up for that as anybody, but I, it's probably not that dramatic. What else was uh, em- uh, Ozil going to say? He was working hard during preseason. Emery did seem to be including him. He was played at Watford. There w- is shit going on behind the scenes. Uh, Ozil has a bit of a track, track record of um, maybe struggling to stay focused and to work hard all the way through every season, especially when things aren't going his way. Um, you can see all the patterns in there. 
I, I just think, and the problem then is, you, you know, I, I read James Benj's piece a couple of days ago, and I, I like James, and I think it's, it, it, I think most of what he said in there was fine, but there was a thing in there that, that Ozil and the supporters have to know where Emery stands in some kind of consistent position. But life's not that simple. It changes all the time. If Ozil's working hard at the moment, trying to get back into the team, but he had a a month or a month and a half or so where he wasn't, but in preseason he was. I mean, how is Emery, Emery supposed to give a defen- definitive position on what we're going to do with Ozil when he doesn't know what it, which Ozil he's got from week to week? But I'm happy right now that Ozil's working hard and uh, uh, shoulder to the to the grindstone, and become part of the twenty five man squad. And I hope you're. I love Ozil. I love good Ozil, and I'm sympathetic to bad Ozil. And on the other hand, with Emery, I under, he's not a drama guy. He doesn't really want to have a big message out there. He doesn't want to put out a marker that this far and no further, no surrender. His line is: "Work hard. Mm. You'll be considered." <clears throat> No favoritism. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would say is, look, you're saying there's no drama here. The, the only the only thing I would say in response to that is that, like, his statement that he's training hard comes right out. The, the most recent statement about Ozil that Emery gave, I think, was the most direct in a way, even though we never mentioned Mesut Ozil, which is we pick the players that are training well. More, there are other players that deserve it more than him. That was really and the Raul last. Then backed it up. Yeah. Well, no, he did not. I I would take issue with that comment, uh, as I often do because really? I'm, a, I'm a prick. I don't think Raul backed it up. I think what Raul, Raul said is no. Just, just hear me out for one second. We even address it is is backing. It I up. think what Raul said is Emery picks the players who train well. I don't think that's necessarily backing Emery. I think that's explaining his method. Given the context, it can really only mean one thing. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it could, yes. Okay. So, so I, I do see your point. Yes, that's fair. The the inference there is that Ozil is not training well because that's how Emery picks the team. That's a very good point. Um. Well, I think what I'm saying though is, given that that was the last communication from the club about his training, for Ozil to come out and say, "I've trained at the whole the same level my whole career, but I've not had minutes recently. I'm doing." extra work with the fitness coach and in the gym to get even fitter than normal. I know what is needed and believe in myself. I mean, I would just say that that is a refutation of the sort of developing narrative that he's not training well. It doesn't mean he's right. and doesn't mean he's telling the truth, by the way. That's I not think, what I'm saying. I, I, but it also doesn't mean there's a lot of dr- – I mean, he's not going to say, yeah, Emery's right. No, 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 of course. But on the other no. hand, he's not out there He's not out there saying but the, the manager this, the manager that. No, but uh, the interesting he, thing is I – mean, no, he was very complimentary of, of Emery. I mean, he goes on yeah. to say we might not see eye to eye on everything, but that's normal. You have to accept it and go forward. Um you know, he says, what if Emery never selects you again? I don't think that will happen. I will play. I believe in myself to do what he asks of me, and I want to help the club to reach our goal. Now, again, he's very good at PR. Clive, you oh, wanted to come in there because I, I do want to move on to yeah. another point that I think is actually the sort of silent, really interesting point that Ozil makes that I think is very cogent. So why don't you you finish here, and then, Tim, i got a question for you about big games. Okay, just quickly. Um, I think you hit a nail on the head there. there are people have, You mentioned the word fitness. If you don't train well... You are not fit to play, right? Yeah, literally as that. fit. As yeah, there. right. Fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and he said, "I'm working hard to regain my fitness." Now, there could have been a reason why he might have been ill, and he hadn't trained well for a period, and now he's feeling he's coming back to fitness. So I'm going to be a bit, little bit uh, sympathetic to where he could be. There's two places on a, in a football club where you compete for your position. One is in training. One is in games. You have to do well in one to get a chance in the other. Every club works the same way. I guarantee you in the 8v8s on the, on the Thursday and the Friday, everyone has got the team. You want to be in a team with the right colour bibs. And you've got to get on that team because that means you're, you're closer to the squad. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's really important, these games. It's really important, these sessions. It's really important how you perform. And that's how you get opportunities. If there are people not working to that mantra, they will stand out and they affect the whole group and the whole dressing room i think it's another thing when you, people say work hard i working hard for Mesut Ozil is not the same as working hard for scott parker it's a different it's a different dynamic i want to see Mesut Ozil that's working scotty really, parker please <laughs> brave scotty see, parker 
I want to see Meza Erz working hard to get on the ball to have touches because that's the player we all remember and that's what we need. I don't care if he runs back. Can I if ask he's you a working question? hard to be available to be on the ball, yes, to have touches, to get ourselves moving in the style that we all want to see. I've seen too many games where he's disconnected, disengaged from the moment. Agree, but, but can and I ask you a question then? His, where he needs to change. He, the last time we saw him with significant action was against Watford. I felt that yeah. he was doing what you are saying in the Watford game. I thought he so did what it pretty I will, well. What, what I will you, say yeah. to you, we watched that second half, didn't we? Well, he yeah. had three moments in that second half that were positive. It's not enough. But but it's I will say this. The enough. moment right before he gets hauled off where he beats a man on the, the right touchline and get and cuts back inside and gives it to Shaka and a good counter opportunity and Shaka shoots from 40 yeah. yards out. like That could have been a goal moment. And, it could have been. I you know, know if Shaq had just slide to the overlapping we're, fullback. We're, we're, now, we're now nitpicking and we don't <laughs> oh, yeah, want to lose the fair. flow yeah, you're, of discussion. You're, you're, you're. I think, uh, like I say, working half misers was not the same as for other players. If he works hard in his way, that's enough for me. That means he's getting touches. That means we look better. If he disconnected from the game, we're playing with 10 men. That's not enough for me. Not enough. Okay. Um, and, and I think, by the way, I, I largely agree with all that. So, Tim, here's what I want to ask you about. I think this is sort of quietly a really cogent argument he makes. I'm not sure anybody actually disagrees with this. But I think it goes to how players are perceived by fans. Obama Yang came in for a lot of criticism last year because he had a few big misses against Chelsea. He missed the penalty against Spurs. One, I think it was very clear he was our best player. I know there's some people going to say, nope, Lacazette was our best player. He got voted our best player. He was our best player. For me... The Golden Boot winner guy was our best player. But whatever, that's beside the point. Mesut Ozil touches on something. Um, you know, he he got asked about big, big games. And he said, if we don't do well in a big game, in quotes, it's always my fault. If that's true, how do you explain our results in the big games when I wasn't involved? There's no real difference. I know people expect me to offer more, dictate, play, and make the difference. I do too, but it's not that straightforward. I'm not the only player in the team, and don't forget, some of our opponents are simply better than us. Also, what is a big or small game? In the Premier League, anyone can beat anyone. Look at Wolves and Norwich beating City, or Newcastle and West Ham beating Man United, LOL. Schadenfreude pod. Uh, so you can't say my good performances only came in small games because these games don't really exist. The intensity is there in every match and often the small teams raise their standard against the big team. Um, what I want to touch on with you here is I think this is a really interesting point because to be top four and ultimately to win a league, you don't have to top the top four league or top six league. You have to pound the smaller teams. And whether you're talking about Mohamed Salah and, and Sadio Mane or whether you're talking about Huneguero, you know, scoring six in a game where City win 8-0, or whether you're talking about Mesut Ozil. The really good players are flat-track bullies because it's the really good players that make an Arsenal better than a Bournemouth or a City better than a Watford or a, well, United's not better than anybody, but you get my point. So is does he have a point that his talent, his skill set, his unique ability to find space, create openings, and rip apart weaker teams is undervalued. And the perception that he should have dragged us to victory against Bayern, yes, he should do better in big games, but maybe we have misunderstood the value of having a player like that in a league like the Premier League. So I think he's got a bit of a point, and I think this this comes up a lot. I mean, the, rea the reality is m most players don't regularly make the difference in big games. Um, and if there was like Twitter in the early 2000s, a lot of people would look at what someone like Thierry Henry produced um, away from home against the big teams, which was in terms of goals and assists, not a lot. Um, but neither do a lot of players. Neither did Van Nistelrooy um, really at Manchester United. And, and, you know, these kind of clutch players. <clears throat> um, how many times did Ronaldo perhaps score a winner at, at Highbury or the Emirates once, twice you know, not bad, but it's not like he was doing it every single time mm -hmm. he played. Yeah. So, so yes, there is that. On the other hand, the thing is, you're stalling. All roads, <laughs> all roads <laughs> with Mesut Özil yeah. lead back to the contract, and three hundred and fifty thousand pounds a week. That is at least once in a while make make the difference in a big game money, and. I'm struggling. I, there was the 3-0 at home to Manchester United in 2015. He was he was pretty damn good in that. I'm struggling after that. And 
you know, he says at one point in the interview, um, you know, perhaps there's some kind of jealousy around his contract and stuff like that. I mean, maybe there is a bit of jealousy. I don't think it's jealousy. I think just when you have a contract like that, people look for that level of output. That's just, and as they should, that is just absolute, to quote the great Mosdef, it is simple mathematics. That's why you're paid that money. This is so such an eclectic hand, podcast. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so, so on one hand, yeah, he, he, he does have a point. Like there aren't many players, you know, other than like Messi and Ronaldo now who regularly turn up in these massive games and win them single-handedly. It doesn't happen. Those games are, are very nip and tuck. And he's right as well in that, you know, when you're playing a team that's just playing better than you, a player like Ozil probably isn't hugely useful to you. Um, but again, he's being paid be useful money um, yes, in those games, course. even putting aside the whole, you know, he's not really playing at the moment because the manager doesn't like the way he's training and stuff like that. So I guess the, I just, it, okay, go ahead. Sorry, finish that. There's, there's, there is, I'd say to about 20 to 30 percent he's got a point but there is quite a lot of ass covering in there you can't on one hand kind of dismiss the fact that you're on this massive salary and then on the other hand basically say i can't do this because it's hard no that 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 you are a hundred percent right and your highest paid players biggest stars should contribute in the biggest games and ideally be difference makers in the biggest games i guess i just look in a league contest context and say what your biggest players and highest paid players and biggest stars should do is make the difference between nail biting out nil nils that are maybe one nil that are maybe one one and winning three one or three nil because they just dripped that extra class on the game. And like I look at a Bournemouth game that was kind of a tedious affair and, and maybe a little bit nerve wracking, maybe not quite as nerve wracking as I'm making it out to be, and say, Does that extra quality or class there turn that into a two nil or three nil and it's comfortable? And is that is that something we don't value as much? Is that something where if he had done that and dropped three assists, would the post-match talk have been, oh, look, Mesut showing up in a home game against a small team and shining. Hooray, hooray. Well, we didn't shine without him. Yeah. And I'm, by the way, I'm not saying we would have shined with him. I want to be clear. I'm not, I don't know what he's got left yeah, to yeah. give us. I'm just saying, is, is he in a bit of a catch-22 in that when he does make a difference in those games, it's yeah. disqualified, you know? He, he definitely is, but at the same time, we're not not winning those games without him either. Um, you know, generally speaking, like at home, we beat Aston Villa, we beat um, we beat Bournemouth, we beat Burnley. You know, he we beat he, Newcast so, Newcastle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So at the same time, you think would we have definitely not won without him? Well, we've we've won quite regularly without him in these kind of games. So. Yeah the, yeah, the question is, I, I think you're right in your, like, Henri, look at Henri's goals, you know, like 2-0 home to Southampton, Henri scores twice, that just happened all the time. Um, the, the, the quibble here is that Ozil's just not doing that as much as he used to. Mm, yeah, that's fair. I, Paul, I want to wrap up the, this part of the, or the Ozil conversation with a question about mixed messages <clears throat> and how a, a manager and a club need to communicate consistently for discipline-oriented tactics to work. I think back to one of, I think, Arsene's, Arsene Wenger's worst disciplinary tactics that he tried. Um, there were rumors of a bust-up between Ramsey and Alexis, and that Alexis had become a disruption. And we were going to Anfield, and Arsene benched Alexis. He he said, you're not playing. You know, it was, it was clearly a disciplinary action for his behavior. But we were trailing at halftime, so he brought him on to start the second half. <laughs> And the whole and don't do it again. Yeah, exactly. The whole the whole. You know what? If you're not a good teammate, you're not going to play. Except if we're trailing and we really need you, please come rescue us. Right? Like that. That muddles the message, and that doesn't work. I think there was some of that last season with the Ozil thing. Like you're frozen out. You're not playing. Oh, you posted something on social media. You're making it a little tricky for us. Okay, you're back in the team. Um, I I do worry a little bit about some of the the tactics with him this season, and this is where I want to kind of pick your brain. So. We now know, based on... <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of picking. It's a lot of knots in there. Um, we now know that this is related to not training hard. I mean, it's basically right there in the subtext. It's there in the text text in most cases. But he plays against Watford. He's left home for a Europa League trip. He plays in a cup game, gets hauled off while having a good game in a cup game. Then it's said that he's there are players that deserve it more than him. Then two weeks later, after an international break... He's training well and he's in my plans. Do you worry at all that like 
hauling him off in the cup game when you've given him the start, but not bringing him to the Europa League, playing him at Watford, but then he's frozen out, saying he doesn't train well, but two weeks later saying he's back in my plans, he's training great. Like, is there a bit of a muddled message here that both in the dressing room and to the supporters and to the player himself may complicate the attempts to resolve the situation? Yeah, yeah, there is, but I think it's inevitable. I, I don't know. He, he either ignores kind of changes uh, in the background, uh, and no matter what Ozil does, he's either always in, or alternatively, Ozil's always out, or he goes with the ebb and flow of what's going on in the background, which is Ozil may well be getting... Uh, much more serious, much more settled, much more fit as he was in preseason um, than he has been in what Ozil himself admits has been a very turbulent couple of and difficult couple of months with his own wife wanting to move elsewhere and move back to Europe. And Kalasinac's is it uh, his girlfriend or wife? I'm not sure which was moved back to Europe. So it's been a tough time for a guy yeah. who can can get. Uh, disrupted, distracted. I mean, uh, do, does anybody think Ozil's focus is always 100% when things are going well or badly? I don't think so. Um, so, what you know, what's a man to do? I actually think um, Emery's been very, very consistent if you look at what his message is, which is work hard, uh, be prepared, put the effort in, and you will be uh, strongly considered. And yep. like, isn't that the bottom line at the end of the day? But to us, it, the best thing we could all do, but we're not going to do that, is just leave them to it and let them work it out. The the drama from the media and supporters doesn't help the equation because it has the manager jumping around, coming up with answers, coming up with positions. You know, there was the thing about he was asked the question five times, but didn't address it with Ozil. But he kind of did. Um but how many times, you know, he here he is, third in the table, and all the fuck he hears about is Ozil, right? Well, I mean, in when you have one of the conference. global superstar players on 350K a week, I mean, that that's big club life, right? You could be first in the table, and you're going to hear about, uh, you know, Neymar, Pogba, or Kun Aguero, yep. or, you know, that's that's yeah, just life at a big club. You know? The media are going to bring it up. So yep, uh, I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's surprising. I, d- I don't think... He can say it's unfair. On the other hand, he just wants to get on and manage a football team. So between the two things, you're going to have these, this tension, these competing forces that show up in every press conference. And then everybody's going to say, oh, look how inconsistent he is. There's no, you know, it's one of those situations. There's never going to be a right answer unless he takes a categorical line. And then that won't be reflective of changes behind the background if Ozil was on his game in preseason, off his game for a month and a half, and now back on his game. Well, the message is there's a subtlety to the message, but there's a consistency. Work hard, and you're in the picture. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, let's move off of this topic. <clears throat> Uh, before we do, I just want to make the point. Look, he spoke on other topics, including uh, his relationship with Erdogan. And I mean, we could go into that. We could go into a big debate about geopolitics and that relationship and his comments about him. I didn't love them, but I don't think anybody is that interested in that right now. So I don't want to make it sound like we're running away from it um, because I think it is a topic that maybe warrants discussion. I just don't know that this is the podcast to do it. And if you want to know our opinions about it, you could always ask us on social media or demand that we do a geopolitical podcast, which I assure you would be the worst podcast ever. Um, and having said that, I guess it's also a good time to just condemn the despicable racist abuse that the England team faced in Bulgaria. That's also another terrible thing that happened that we're probably not going to touch on in depth, but just to be clear, it sucks and, and it's a shame and it's horrible to see. Uh, so here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to drop in an ad break here. Uh, cause you know, why do that? We, we left you without a pot all week and I feel bad for that cause of the timing thing. So we won't drop in an ad break, ad break, except to say, if you could sign up for the athletic, if you want to sign up for the athletic, doesn't matter. You know, if you don't, no big deal. If you do use our promo code, we, we hopefully will get this blockbuster guest on and, and you'll get half off. It's the, um, the athletic.com forward slash arsenal vision. And if you'd like to sign up for our Patreon, we're getting right across the 1500 plateau, which is really exciting. And we'll have giveaways for that person. And then for patrons generally, uh, when that happens. So we appreciate you. So <clears throat> let's move on and talk about football a little bit. Clive, I think we are now entering into the stage of the Emory experience that you could call, you won't call, I will call, 
the last chance, last chance saloon. And what I mean by that is there have been a lot of excuses of when this happens, it'll all work out for Emory. When that happens, you got judge him when this happens. And without wanting to be biased, I am still open-minded about Emory. But I think it is fair to say that the last judge him when this happens thing was when he gets his fullbacks back. And I think that is fair. I think he really needs fullbacks. I don't know how Liverpool will be playing without TAA and, and, and Robertson, okay? So he's got Tierney back. Bellerin, I don't know. They may want to ease him in a little slowly because he didn't look like back to his best yet, but he's had two more weeks of training. So do you expect them to both come back? And do you agree that these next few weeks with those players back present, and Lacazette back in full training, by the way, present a really big opportunity, but also a really important moment for Emery to really show that with, with all of these resources, he can deliver. And Rob Holding, by the way, which just sprung into my head. I think um, the period now between now and Christmas gives us a a real chance to, you know, basically deliver on on with all, most of his players in decent health. And we've still got the European games and the League Cup game to squeeze in, so there's plenty of minutes. I don't think Bellerin will play uh, at Sheffield, but I think Tierney may well play. And I think that again, that depends on how well he's gone in training, right? And um, and that's going to be interesting to see if he gets in ahead of. Kalashnik and and he goes into the European games and the and the League Cup games, so that's going to be a, a big change going forward. I think Lacazette is the key uh, for me. I think he is the player that I'm hoping will unlock two other players. Aubameyang scored his goals, brilliant, carried us while Lacazette's been injured. We might see an even better player when Lacazette is back, and we're also looking at. The connection between Pepe and Lacazette. I think that's something I'm looking forward to because we spoke last time about style and influence. I think Pepe is that stylistic player that we could develop around, but he can't do it without the connection and connectivity that he needs. Aubameyang's not a connector. He's a last he's a last touch player. Lacazette is a connector, so we need that. We need that player. Sobias is a connector, but we don't know where he's going to pop up on the pitch. So it's important we have that central pillar. So I think, as much as the fullbacks, I think Lacazette is absolutely massive. And again, I have my own sort of Emery roadmap in my head. First year was about discovery, see where he goes. We got close, blew an opportunity, recycled the squad in the summer, 18 out, six in. Now you've got your squad in front of you. And you've got a decent set of fixtures between now and Christmas. I think you have to deliver. I really do. I think this is the moment to show what you've got. We're going to get to Christmas before January. We'll know if we need to strengthen or please people go out of the squad. From that moment on, we'll have a bit more direction off the pitch. We'll know where we're going in 2020. And I think we're on the, for me, I think we're on the over the curve for Emery, regardless of where we are in the in the table, because I just feel the role of coach now is going to be a far more transient one. I think it's going to be a two to three year job maximum because I think the messages become stale to the players and the players just want something else. And I think the club will, will develop alongside that coach. If someone comes along which is absolutely stylistically and possibly and, and communicatively better, and sits with Arsenal perfectly, then that player, that person may stay around. If not, we go again. The most important thing is to structure the club and, and learning about how we're going to spend money off the pitch. I keep looking at the LA Rams in, in the US, and I keep looking at what they're doing, signing players, making sure they're filling gaps, really going for it. I wonder if we'll... I have this little sneaky feeling. I wonder if we could do that at Arsenal eventually. I'm not so sure. Different game, different sport. You have, you have opportunities based on the draft, etc. By the way, if you want to carry that analogy further, they also uh, overcommitted economically to a star player on their team who's struggling. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, they did. <laughs> they just Dawson. got that Jalen Ramsey guy in just yep. recently, and I've been watching that. I, 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 I keep looking at that to see if there's anything we can drag forward into, uh, into Arsenal. I'm not sure if there is a simile there, but you can see from the coaching perspective, a lot of other teams are, are hiring young coaches like what uh, the Rams have done and so they've started a trend there. It'd be interesting to see if Arsenal do something similar, have a young dynamic coach and there's names, there's one name potentially popping into our heads right now when I say that and I think that's got, I've got, got a sneaky feeling that's the direction we may end up taking. So yeah, so Emery's in that, he's not in last chance but maybe first of the last chances if 
you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe second of the last chances. I think the Europa League and, and Brighton was number one. I think he's coming towards number two. And I've always worked on a three-strike rule, right? So I think we'll know by the end of it whether he gets a strike three. If he gets a strike three, we know the drill. Yeah. Okay, so, Tim, I, I do want to get your, your thoughts on that too and then <clears throat> talk to you about a specific player who might be influenced uh, by the return of the fullback. So first of all, just do you agree that this is a key period for evaluating the coach and for the team to really kick on because we all presume that the return of these players can unlock a lot of what Emery seems to want to do tactically? Uh, yeah, absolutely. He he kind of runs out of... Ex- well, let's not call them excuses at the moment because they might be um, Re- They can be reasoned, so, right? I mean, excuses yeah, doesn't yeah, yeah, have yeah. to be a pejorative. Like, it can be an explanation, yeah. you know? Exactly. And and actually, this period will probably bring that out and we'll probably find out. And, um, you know, if basically if performances continue as they have been, then the results will dry up. So the performances do have to improve. So, yes, this is, you know, um, we're, we're dealing with small sample sizes, really, at the moment at this stage of the season. And to be fair, I do think Emery's fixed a couple of things defensively, albeit you can question whether Bournemouth and Manchester United are... Um, you know, the kind of opponents where you demonstrate that kind of progress, but um, we're not leaking shots on our goal like madmen like we were. Um, he's he's kind of done a bit of a fix there, and maybe it's cost us something attacking-wise, but um, he's, he's trying to do something, I think. And, uh, yeah, with someone like Lacazette back as well, we can see how that helps Pepe. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think like the next 10, you know, leading up to Christmas, yeah. um, really big. Well, and you, you just touched on something that I wanted to ask you as the follow-up. So, it's perfect. We are simpatico. Um, Pepe, you know, there's a lot of focus on Tierney and there's a lot of focus on the fullbacks, you know, helping Aubameyang, for example, as Clive referenced. Pepe is a player who maybe isn't struggling as much as we thought. Another athletic article, Michael Cox wrote, uh, who is your team's true playmaker? This new metric has the answer. And he dives into a new Opta Pro metric that is sort of a um, contribution leading to a shot. I'm not sure what they're calling it, but basically Pepe ranks, I think, top of all the players yeah. in the metric or something like that. It's, it's kind um, of like XG chain, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, one of the things that I've been thinking is Pepe is replacing Ozil um, in the way that he's played. Uh, I think that's on Clive. You should consider, by the way, um, as a perspective. Next time. Yeah. No, just, I'm not typing Look, if you type it in. into the message, I'm just going to steal it. Kind of like when Paul reminded me about Rob Holding. Like, I'm just going to take those things. That's how that works. You're, called, you're like Ron Burgundy. <laughs> I'll read anything on the prompter. That is, you will read it. Yes, that's true. Also, I'm in a glass case of emotion. But um, so, so I, the point I was uh, trying to get to before all this got off the rails, Tim, is do you think that Pepe... First of all, I mean, maybe he's misunderstood a little and has been a little better than we think, but do you think that Bellerin's return is a huge boost for him and that he's a player who may be poised to break out a little bit himself when he has that overlapping player to play with? Yep, I think that would definitely make a difference. And, there are you know, eels on my auto bus. <laughs> I just uh, I just wanted you to know that. I don't, I don't know what that means. It just popped into my head. Honestly, Paul is just typing things in the messages. My wombat is constipated. I have to read all of these now. All right, I won't do any more, Tim. Answer the question. I, I'm done with that. That joke is done. It's done. <laughs> but not, not, not to reprise an, uh, a previous discussion, but if um, it'll be interesting to see if Ozil's done enough to play his way in um, because I think, you know, maybe having a number 10 there, maybe, maybe having Lacazette there will help him as well. The, the way I see it is that uh, I, I quite, um, I took Matt's point um, on the on the Patreons podcast about how Pepe always goes towards goal when he gets the ball, which is um, capital letters, a good thing to do. Generally speaking, I, I think a lot of his trouble is he hasn't had anyone um, to the right of him overlapping with Bellerin. Hopefully we can sort that out. Um, and the other thing is that I, I guess our number 10 by proxy has been Ceballos, who drifts way, way over to the left-hand side, hmm. about 70 yards away from him. So he's kind of got, um, you know, g- going to sound a bit like that Steelers wheel song now. <laughs> he's kind of got <laughs> no one to the right and left of him every time he gets the ball. Um, and so if we can sort those spaces out, then then yes. Um, but but as, also, as opposed you know, to what Rob Holding might feel in a back three when Socrates <laughs> and Louise are playing, when he says clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck <laughs> in the middle with you. Anyway, sorry, I had to do it. Um, but yeah, but but you know, Bellerin is still going to take. You know, it'll be after Christmas before we see Bellerin like right, you know, right back up there fitness wise. So um, we'll see what that brings. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, 
big big period for Pepe as well. Scored for his country over the international break, which will hopefully give him some kind of confidence. But I, I don't really get the sense it's confidence he's lacking. I get the sense it's um, some teammates that he doesn't need binoculars to see might help him. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's you know, let's uh, hope that that is a change that we see. So, Paul, I guess that leads me into a good question for you, which is first of all, why is your wombat constipated? <laughs> what are you feeding him? Um, I'll check into that. I'll check into his. Fi- I don't. Actually I, I guess he have probably he, he, ate the, just, he ate the whole wheel of cheese. Is what I'm guessing. I, um, I was just typing stuff into the message thing. Yeah, and I was saying it. Okay, look. Uh, so I think Tim touched on where the midfielders have been playing this flat midfield three um, has left us with these really split wide outside midfielders and a lot of space in the center. And I don't know if that's to sort of overcompensate for the lack of proper fullbacks and overlapping fullbacks. What do you think tactically will be the biggest change that we'll be able to observe um, or Clive will be able to observe. And then I will be able to say I observed uh, when, when Tierney and Bellerin are back. So the flat three is not really a flat tr- three. Some games, it, it, it's like reading Emery's, we need a very clear style, and then he starts to explain what he's doing in games, and it sounds like he does something different in every game by his own admission, and it varies on the opposition, and it de- varies on the players. We've seen the, the three in midfield act like a, a double pivot, which historically he's quite liked, though he's had a, a three at PSG, where it's kind of like your your flat three or more of a flying V. Flying you got Sabayas, yeah. mm-hmm. who's kind of a can do an eight ten impersonation in that three. So I've I, I'm not even clear that we've we've even seen a consistent three in midfield. It's really ch- changed with game. We're so different home and away. Like there's this ongoing thing that we don't press, and it's just not true. If you watch the matches. At home, we do a significant m- amount of pressing for a period of time. And away from home, we mostly don't. But even that changes. Like when we chased the game at Manchester United, when we needed a goal in the second half, we pressed. We Just like we would at home, we pressed right up the pitch. So um, uh, tremendous sympathy is for anybody who says they don't know what our style is. And the problem is... Our style is two things, and when you average it statistically, we don't look like we're doing anything, but we're actually doing significantly different things at home and away. And uh, a bit like Sir Matthew Matthew Crawley in Downton Abbey when he's uh, had a spine broken and uh, his loins don't work, and then suddenly there's movement under the blanket. You know, there is something happening here. There is something you can measure that's not just nothing, right? Jesus. There's so something. many openings there. I don't even know which one to run through. <laughs> yeah. No, like we are doing things. We say there's no style. It's just that it's we flip-flop between games and between game states. There's definitely stuff happening. It's not all vanilla. vanilla. It's not all down the middle. I don't know what the fullbacks are going to do for us. I do wish Tierney was coming in on the right-hand side. Um, in the sense that that's where Pepe needs some support right now. And Bellerin may be a little underpowered for a few months. So in the excuses Emery could use if he had good, really expensive lawyers, he's got players coming back who will still take some time to get there. And the fact that, that uh, Tierney's going to have to look to form a partnership on that side. And he, he seemed to be pretty good with Saka on the left. But who's going to feed Pepe? Is is Bellerin going to be able to get up and back uh, fast enough and quick enough? Tierney also has a seems to have a tremendous cross, like an aerial cross on him. But we don't really have any aerial players into the box. But you know, Lacazette's reasonably good with his head, and, and Tierney seems to be able to place it, uh, as we saw with Martinelli. Uh, and Pepe's, as I remember him from from Liga, from the stuff I looked at, you know, he, he's reasonable uh, getting his head on the ball, and he's certainly good at getting into the box. So maybe he'll enjoy kind of doing that Obama Yang drifting into the at the yeah. far post side side of things. Um, so I think Tierney will buy us a lot, and 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 somehow manage to get Pepe into the game more, even if it's from the wrong side. Um, I think we'll be more dynamic. I think the legs on Tierney and hopefully Bellerin will allow us to be 
more selective and targeted in our pressing um, because historically Emery has pressed away from home. It's only yeah. this even last year he did some pressing away yeah. from home. It's only this year he's become a, a, a total uh, tortoise away from home, pulling pulling the neck in and sitting yep. sitting in and dropping off. Yeah, well so I mean we'll we'll see if if the personnel make the difference. If that if that's something that gives him the confidence to do that, the knowledge that those players can chase back and defend. So Let's start to wrap up real quick here. We're going to look ahead to Sheffield. And Clive, I'm going to ask you a multiple-choice question, and I only want a multiple-choice answer, and then I'll ask you another one, okay? Okay. Um, being completely honest, from entertainment standpoint alone, you can only watch one Arsenal game this week. Are you picking the Sheffield one on Monday or the Victoria one on Thursday? Oh, I... I if I'm... Mate, it's always a <laughs> One or the other. Games. Either Sorry. or. It's, Pure entertainment. It's, it's a, <laughs> It's a league game for me. Really? Sorry. Nah, yeah. fuck. You know it's going to be a dire, dire affair, well, and Thursday is going to be tons of entertainment. Okay, no, no, I'm kidding. What I'm, do you expect? Maybe I'm not answering that question correctly. Okay. I mean, uh, I think I, I, I worry about every away game. Chef, Sheffield's an interesting North. team. They they do some yeah. interesting things. So what what are you expecting this this Monday night? I mean, of course, after two weeks of no football, we've we've got to wait till Monday night. Hopefully, uh, we'll be recording a Schadenfreude pod that day as well because United are facing Liverpool basically with the four of us in their team. But um, yeah, what are you expecting on Monday? Well, I think a lot of these so-called smaller teams, they look at Arsenal and at the moment I'm at Manchester United and think we can have our day of the season against them. I think we, we offer a, a sense of vulnerability and we go to some of these grounds. I've seen it myself. And we went to Brighton a little while ago. We've been to Crystal Palace. We give them, we give them their day. And they have this great day against Arsenal because we blow it because we don't engage in the game. We don't, we don't match them physically. We don't impose our personality on teams. And I look around at our team and I hope we do something, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Lacazette's going to be quite ready. Um, it, I hope he is um, because I think we need his, um, we need his uh, adult presence in the team and his leadership. And you were talking about the midfield there and the problem we have with the three of them. If Shaka's the most disciplined of the three positioning, which he is, that's a problem. That tells you what the issue is. That's why we debate the shape, because in Sabias and Guendouzi, their primary skill is how can I get on the ball? And they don't care where they are positioning when they get on it. And we are far too wide receiving the ball and if things break down we know the rest of the story so I'm looking for more structure a more definitive game approach rather than waiting to see what they do taking a couple of jabs and then responding I like to see us get our jab off first a lot more particularly in these games and start remembering who we are I really feel we have to I don't care about the style just turn up at someone's house dominate them when you walk in dominate the warm up and dominate the game and start acting like a like a big club. And really be aggressive, really be intense, and really impose your talent on them. I do feel, you know, when I listen to all the criticisms of recent years, I do feel we've become a little bit too reactive, and I think we need to be far more proactive. And if we do that, we can, I'll, I'll take whatever we get offered. Works for me. Uh, I mean, I I would take any result at this point because I think right now, given the state of the top four. It's just about accumulating points. Tim, do you expect to see both Bellerin and Tierney? Give, give me a, a quick rundown of what you think lineup-wise and what you expect from the game. Just, you know, top, top yeah. of mind. Yeah. So I do think Bellerin and Tierney will play either side of uh, Socrates and Louise. Um, I think we'll see a midfield of Xhaka, Genduzi, and Ceballos. And I think we'll have a front three of Saka, um, Abamyang, and Pepe. Um, I'm expecting this game to be a little bit like all of our other games this season in that we could win it by a goal or we could lose it by a goal um, or it could be a draw. Um, I, I watched Sheffield United play at home to Liverpool and I thought they were pretty unlucky not to get at least a draw out of that. Um, and, you know, they've they've got quite a bit going forward as well, I think. And I, and I think this will be kind of fairly typical in that the home crowd will be you know all those kind of old cliches that aren't always true but in this case will be true like the crowd will be really up for it Sheffield United will be really up for it they'll come flying out the blocks most of their players haven't been away on international duty so they'll, they'll have been focused on 
focusing on this for a long time. Uh, Chris Wilder as well, one of those managers, I think, that really looks for weaknesses in other teams when they played Liverpool. The first five, ten minutes, I just watched them. They just kept like booming that ball in behind Alexander-Arnold mm-hmm. that obviously identified him as a weak spot at right back and they just kept putting the ball there um and I, i'm not saying i expect that specific tactic but i expect that um that that they've been spending the last kind of fortnight or so really looking at arsenal um and and will be in for one hell of a game yeah i mean i don't doubt that i think they've been impressive we're not great away we're still integrating these new pieces i think it was a perfect time to have an international break for us though to work with these new players and we'll just see what happens paul final thought uh what do you expect result give me a result uh 2-1 to us 2-1 to us um i'm gonna say 3-1 arsenal i don't know why i just you know, football can you, surprise you. You always do this, Elliot. Why I do, do you do this? To well, I'm going to say 10 0 to Arsenal in about two seconds. Clive, result? Yeah, I'm with the 2 1. I think it's going to be a good old dust up. And I'm, I think we're going to take them. I think we're going to take them 2 1. And we start on that big run to get us back to Project 36, which is looking a bit lame. <laughs> yeah, Project 36 is not going to be a 36, but it could still be a good one. Tim, result? Um, I think it'll be 1 1. One one. There's always a wet blanket. There's always a wet blanket on the pod, and it wasn't me. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thank you, Tim. It's my pleasure. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Tim Tim just upset me, man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Clive. Bye bye. (laughs) Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. (laughs) Thanks, pause. Okay. All right. Well, you know, good enough. Uh, my name's Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star view. Write nasty things about us in the comments. And we will talk to you after what will certainly be Arsenal 10, Sheffield New.